0: I like that kind of idea of letting go of what we think we're supposed to be, letting go of like what we were told we are, and finding what we like about ourselves, finding what we like about who we are. I think that actually creates the most fortune for people in their life, too. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner.
1: Reese Harper, welcome to Bridging the Gap. Thanks for joining us, man. How is everything in in your neck of the woods, my friend?
0: What's up, Matt? Good to see you. The second time we've done a podcast together, man. It's like, everything's pretty today. Good sunshine, good weather. I like the fall in Utah. Leaves turned this week. Like up at the cabin, there was like a little cold spell and there was just like some bright red trees that turned. Some of the aspens just started shifting it was really pretty so it's great time of year my favorite and not too hot not too cold yet
1: i absolutely love that man and that it's gotten like cool i was telling my wife this morning we walked outside and i was like you know it's starting to get a little bit of a crisp fall in the air here in atlanta and it doesn't tend to happen that way and so i'm stoked with the weather here too this is this is our second time talking our first time you know i was on your podcast so thank you for having me there it was such an awesome fun conversation we went down ton of different rabbit holes and uh, just really enjoyed the conversation and stoked to have you here i mean we're going to talk about kind of your journey in wealth management we're going to talk about the technology company you have built and our team took a look at it as well it's a really phenomenal tool and I'm just kind of interested to hear your perspective on the industry. And so we're going to get into all that. I'm really excited to have such a thought leader. I mean, I know you spoke at, I think, Future Proof recently as well. Yeah, last week. on on, yeah, on Twitter. That, so show. Great show. I hear it was amazing. Next time I'm going to try to get out there, if I can get my schedule coordinated appropriately, I hear it's an awesome time. So, you know, we're going to get into all of that. But before we do, I always like to start out the podcast and ask kind of about the journey. And the way I, I like to start that is, you know, you, you're, you've built an advisory firm that's focused on dentists. You have built a wealth tech company. I'm always curious. It was the 13-year-old Reese Harper. Was he like, you know what? I'm going to go be a, a wealth management. I'm going to be in wealth management and build technology. Was that what the 13-year-old Reese Harper was? And if not, what did the 13-year-old Reese Harper want to do?
0: Yeah, well, I, I think that uh, every 13-year-old has something fun they love to do. And uh, at least all the 13-year-olds I've got a privilege of meeting. And myself, I I was rotating interests every calendar year, probably. From skateboarding to duck hunting to ballet. I was in, a ba- I was in two ballets. And then I played the piano. I played soccer. Uh, left forward golf in high school. Played baseball for a couple years. Played the trumpet. Was in the band. Played in musicals. I rollerbladed invert skating. So like 10 foot, 12 foot half pipes with drop-ins. I love goose hunting and like kind of outdoor stuff, camping, fishing, jumping cars and motorcycles. <laughs> um, like that's what I was into. But it was like something different. Like every year, I tend to not go back to things. I, I just enjoy the first time and then I want to j- enjoy another first time. That's kind of, my dream of a great life, which is scary because you don't ever get security, that much security, like security, financial security comes from repeating the same thing, like for a long time for most people. And for me, it's the the creative kind of exploration process. The ideation phase of, of life is where I like to stay. Just coming up with different ways to think about problems and maybe different ways to help. People live better lives. And I like to experience like new restaurants for the first time. And like I'm going to New York and Steven Starr is one of my favorite chefs in New York. And he's probably got 12 of my favorite restaurants. And but I don't really like to go back to one. You know, it's like I'm looking <laughs> for the next one that and I've I've been to Upland and Upland's one of my favorite New York restaurants. But and I'm taking my boys there to go see MJ and Harry Potter. And I'm like, I think I want to go to Elvez even though i love upland and this little like brioche uh, beautiful brioche bread they make i'm like we're going to go to try this mexican direction or this indian food direction so it's just it's just a preference i think that it was there from a young age my dad tried to get me to do wrestling like greco-roman wrestling in high school he was a state champion wrestler and i did it for a couple years I was, I think I had some pretty natural ability, but I was a little more, um, I didn't like physical conflict. You know, I just, was, I just didn't like fighting people. And it was the first time I'd really, i never fought or punched anyone, but I like wrestling was like kind of intense for me. And my son, my 18 year old now, he's like an intense jujitsu kid. Like he just. I've been, his tournaments, I'm watching him, like, make people tap in, like, two seconds. He just, like, crushes them. Like, I would never want to fight my 18-year-old. He would destroy me. It's just interesting to see how some people sit with things and they go for quite a while in an area and they love deep specialization. I like deep specialization, but in the area of idea creation and idea shaping, that's the most fun part of life for, for me. So that's probably a great, that's a long story, but kind of some good background into... You know, I don't think I'm special, anything any more special than anyone listening here. Everyone is there is a unique person with a unique identity and a unique set of skills. And I've just tried to, like, find what I'm good at and let go of everything else. You know, like that's Mm -hmm. I just try not to be what I'm not. And I I try not to, like, shape other people or change them, you know, unless they start causing drama for me in my life. Then I got to shape because I can't handle people getting in uncomfortably and angrily in my space. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah,
0: but I try to say to myself and focus on what I love and and let other people kind of do the same thing. And I think that makes for a better, more like calm, and productive life. So
1: well, I love that idea of like creating first, like the the high and the dopamine hit of creating first, you just want to constantly be creating first, which you know is a, is both a positive and a negative, but that's the beauty of creativity, right? When you're creating and innovating and ideating, like you're always creating first. And when you, Mm -hmm. once you create the idea and you create the process, then it kind of puts a box around it, right? When you bring it to the world, then you now have a framework and that becomes kind of less creative and more just
0: execution. Yeah. Which is critical. Like I, I mean, if there's a new book that my COO just, I'm big into Self-actualization and zone of genius, like finding your thing and tripling down on it and letting go of everything else. Like that's my, I would say my purpose is to help myself get there, help my family, help my friends get there. Like I like witnessing people. I like seeing them be unique and different and encouraging them to go farther than they would go, like push more in a direction that they think they are they are not special in, that they are not... They think they're just not special. Everyone thinks they're not special, but everyone really is. And when they find what makes them special, it doesn't feel like work anymore. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's like a little bit more meaningful life. Life starts having a little bit more meaning because, you know, you're doing something that's purposeful and it somehow feels easier to you than the other stuff you used to be doing. Gay Hendricks in his book, The Big Leap, he says there's a zone of incompetence a zone of competence a zone of excellence and then a zone of genius that zone of genius not very many people go go there because it's very scary to go there it's the most for most of us is the place that feels the least like work it it starts to feel like fun and that is, is scary because We've been spending our whole lives in, like, zone of incompetence, zone of competence, like, just wrestling with skills, trying to figure out who we are, what do we even do good at, you know, what, judging ourselves, comparing ourselves, like, constantly being insecure about maybe showing up the wrong way in the world, and then, like, we start later in life, I wish I could have done this when you are 20, but the data shows that it's unlikely that you will start having these kinds of, like, learnings until your 40s. And Silicon Valley says that's the best time to get a CEO in into like the, the CEOs are best when their, their egos start to go away a little bit and they start to realize they're just a person and they're just getting jobs done and they're trying to be responsible humans that are trying to build a company rather than like take a ton of credit for things and like be the person that gets all the credit. Mm. So I like that kind of idea of letting go of like what we think we're supposed to be letting go of like what we were told we are and finding what we like about ourselves finding what we like about who we are i think that actually creates the most fortune for people in their life too not always measured by money but usually and often correlated with money is this feeling of just just enjoying what you do and um, yeah it's it's a fascinating journey i think financial advisors should play in this space more because i think it's a it's creating income and helping people create income is a bigger lever to pull than managing someone's expenses or investing their money in the efficient frontier <laughs> so that's where uh, i was
1: going to go with this because it's such an interesting perspective like it's a refreshing perspective it's something that i align with and we talked a lot oh, about it in cool, your podcast cool. is that I mean, I, I am all about like the journey of self-improvement. I love to find ways of like bettering I, I, the creative side, the ideation side, the the mental side, psychological. How do you be the best person you are and get the most fulfillment out of life that you can mm-hmm. in in finding that? Like what is that journey? That is like an incredible journey that a lot of people don't don't take the time to go on because it's like, well, I'm supposed to do this and then I have to do this and then I need to do this and it becomes unfulfilling and then time runs out and then you're left with kind of what you have. And, and I think it's, that's a conversation that isn't really talked about in our industry. And I'm curious, like how you ventured into this space with that mentality And, and it, did that come over time in this space? And, where where does that fit in our space like how do we get more of this type of mentality in our space right i think you know it's a really loaded question but i, I just want to i, I think it's such there. a refreshing yeah, conversation yeah, like, yeah.
0: Well, let's let's uh let's just let's dis- break it uh, let's down the myth okay that like somehow we know where we're going in life Like I I didn't know dude Like I at 20 and 18 And 25 and 30 I was just trying to figure out how to pay a mortgage And like figure out who I loved And figure out if we Wanted to stay together And you know like I was going through Raising four kids And being a dad and trying to pay for my life I think I was trying To self actualize A little bit but not too much Because I was just scared of Running out of money You know, I I was just the guy that, or the man or woman that's listening to this, going, "I remember what it's like to be controlled by external events." You know, like not having enough money, losing a job, like having a medical bill that like exceeded your ability to pay cash for it, needing a car. You know, like finances to me and spirituality, you can't really rip them apart because. Everyone, I, like when I say spirituality, I'm not talking about like religion. I think religion to me is di- different. Uh, I, I would consider religion like a um, like a way to operationalize spirituality. Like it's a corporation that is created by people that want to see a vision come into the world a certain way. Now, spirituality is like connecting to yourself, which some people would say, some people say that is God. Some people say that's just imagination or our brains kind of manufacturing a connection with story and myth. Like, I don't really know what it is. It just works for me. (laughs) It keeps me happy when I connect to these things. So I don't really care if they're objectively, measurably, historically, you know, I like mixing conversations about self-actualization, a little about spirit, a little about like wisdom and money. And I like to have those conversations be uncomfortably, uncomfortably the same conversation. Like I don't, I resist the tendency that those need to be separate conversations because I think in the separation of them, we lose the point of money. Like money's point was never to be accumulated at a lower effective tax rate than someone else. Like The financial advice industry doesn't have to be about just functional wealth creation. And it doesn't have to be uncomfortably spiritual, like uncomfortably mystic or kind of uncomfortably off-putting. It doesn't have to go there. But I think there's a dimension of it that is values-oriented, that's purpose and meaning and zone of genius, that's practical because it aligns people with the skill sets and sort of the education and the career track that they should be on for their own unique ability that aligns them with fortune and peace of mind, you know, whatever that means. I don't know what fortune means exactly to each person, but I know what it feels like for me and fortune or joy with my money happened before I was financially independent. Like I was happy with my money before I had plenty. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think that I have not become happier as my net worth has gone up. And as my um, assets have appreciated, my happiness level is not correlated with the increase of those assets, but it is, it is correlated with the self-actualization the letting go of the parts of me I thought I was supposed to be and, you know, sharing the messages that I wanted to share being the kind of entrepreneur that was a reflection of my, you know, my background, my unique abilities, like who I was. And I, you know, just being who I was was hard, so hard, so scary. And like, you just think you're going to get judged all the time. You know, people will say it's candor that like there's some candor. Person speaking with candor. It's like, well, some people like actually aren't judging their own words as they come out of their mouth. Like they're just saying what they feel and they know that they've had to wrestle long enough with their feelings to where they're not going to say stuff that they're embarrassed about because they're, they've practiced saying what they want to say. They feel what they want to feel. And so I love it when employees or C-suite execs or clients of advisors or advisors can just like encourage the person they're working with to go deeper into the thing that they are. And you might be an operator. You might be a finisher. You might be a starter. You might be the type of person that scales and elevates. Maybe you're just a person that can hold space and listen. I mean, it doesn't really matter what your gift is. You just got to find it and relentlessly pursue it because it's your best lever to pull. It's your biggest lever to pull. It's bigger than your rate of return on your equity portfolio. Like it's bigger than the rate of return on your savings is your ability to pull an income lever. And I think it's highly aligned with your self-awareness and your career positioning.
1: Do do you think, because you were mentioning earlier about, you know, and I, and I'd be curious on like the, the younger Reese Harper as well, like in the twenties and thirties, and I can relate to this, right? Like, I don't think it really started for me until, you know, we were Trying to have kids and then ultimately mm-hmm. had kids about like how life just changed in the sense of what you oh, nice. what what you focus on and you know, yourself and your family and health mm-hmm. and you know all of that and all the material things and what people care say about you and all that stuff doesn't matter, but do you think there's a sense of because when you were younger and when when I was younger too you know, paying the mortgage and all these things, like I was always worried about like how I acted, how I looked to others, how people perceived me, what money I had, all that type of stuff. Do you think that in order to reach self-actualization that you need to have a financial sounding life? Do you need to be financially sound to be able to realize self-actualization or can you realize self-actualization while still being financially like amiss? I I guess would be the word. That's a
0: great question. I wish more people would ask it and talk about it. I wish this question were like more. Uh, this is what financial advice is. It's like we all know we want this like happiness and self-actualization and fulfillment. But like to what degree is what does money have to do with it? Because it feels like it's everything. And it feels like we're supposed to like have a lot of it in order to be good. And because everyone that has more than us is telling us about how much fun they're having with it. And, (laughs) and it's true. Like, I don't think like that is one thing about more money that I think is a constant for most people that have more and more and more. They're able to like do new things that are fun that they've never done before that make them smile in a way that, that they've never smiled. So when you have a billion dollars and you can buy like, a theme park and you could like close it for a day and only bring your family and never have a ride, not even see another soul. Like, I mean, that's happened. Like that's a unique fun experience you could buy with money that like, it will make you smile. Not because you're king of the world, but just because you got to do something that only lots of money could sort of buy for fun, you know? And I I see that happening for people as they get bigger. And I I like applaud that because I think as long as they're being charitable And as long as they're like trying to give a little and try to like realize life isn't all about buying little indulgences, you know, like I think part of making more money that's motivating is you can have a nicer car. So I like it. I don't like feel guilty about it. And I drive a Ford Raptor that's a nice truck. And I like to climb up to my cabin and play around in the dirt with it and have a good time. But so my point is like, there's some aspect of not having pressure that there's something to not having pressure. There's something there. I'm not going to say what it is because I don't know yet, but it meaningfully changes the intensity of your day. I have a really close friend that might, is it like in a different financial position than me, who's not super well off and is short on time mostly because of that, right? like. With my closest friendships, I don't find like a lot of correlation between money and closeness of friends. And, and I have some really close friends that don't have a lot of money. I, and I don't give them money because like I'm not going to cheapen our friendship by like pretending like money is why I'm like if they had more money, I'd be more friends. No, like I don't care. <laughs> I'm just here to help. They're here to be friends with me because we share common values. So like money can have a, I buy a buy them dinner and I hardly ever maybe let them buy me dinner or something, but. My point is I've watched one person specifically just never have breathing room for like years. And it's just because they carry a lot of weight, some special needs conditions in their family, and they only have a certain amount of income from the, the occupation that they've selected, that they love, that they're happy with, and that they're you know doing good work with in the world. But like six months of living expenses, a year's worth of living expenses. I mean, it's so much money to have a year's worth of savings compared to where most people are at. Most people are at, you know, two to three months at at the median. That's like the median, you know, but the average person is like got dollar amounts that would surprise you that they, you know, thousand dollars, single thousands, high hundreds. The amount of like you cannot self-actualize in poverty with true agency and freedom. I I don't think I I just don't think you can truly self-actualize when you're in when you have options and your time is taken away from you. So you can't you can't choose to self-actualize in a new way and you don't have credit and you don't have liquidity and you don't have the right education. So where are you going to go? Like Mm. I I just – I do think though that I have met people in those circumstances that despite the probabilities and despite the odds, they are more fulfilled than I am. Like they are – there are people. I mean these are the wisdom people that we read about. This is like Lao Tzu and the Tao Te Ching and like tons of people that are poor and somehow they like just love their lives. It happens. I'm just saying – we live in a modern world where our brains are shaped by like the things we see on social media and the way our cities are designed and the way we eat food and like the entertainment and school systems that we're a part of. If you live in Kentucky, you're going to look around Kentucky to sort of identify if you're what you want. And, and it, and without money, without good financial decision-making, I think it's more challenging. So I think of them as kind of like a teeter totter one side of the, it's like a place to play. I think of it like money is a place to play and it's like a teeter-totter one side is the financial functional aspects of finance and sometimes you need to play on more the purpose or meaning side and self-actualization side and don't think of it as like a binary state like it sometimes you gotta flow one day to meaning and purpose and one day to the financial side and but that's kind of the drawing that I came up with a few years ago and would taught dentists about, you know, was this playground where you just have to go up and down on that teeter totter throughout your life and realize that sometimes you're going to have a chance to be deeply fulfilled and, and deeply fulfilled with meaning because you're going to realize that that was kind of the imbalance at the time. And you, to play and have it feel fun again, we need to put weight on that side. And sometimes it's about the functional side of like, you don't have any liquidity. You are, and your house is on a 15 year mortgage. Like, why are you doing this to yourself? This is stupid. You don't have a job right now. And you're like wondering if you should like feel bad about your finances. Like, don't analyze that right now. Like, just don't think about that. Like, of course, it's a horrible time for you. You don't have a job. So let's not like beat ourselves up over this. There's like a real functional thing. If we can just make money be like kind of like statistical a little bit more and a little less threatening, a little less meaning at moments and just talk about it like a functional, objective thing, then you can sometimes shift later back to meaning. I don't do very short comments, Matt. So thank you for like letting me just like go for five minutes with no break. I appreciate it.
1: Hey, I, 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 I'm I digging it, man. You said uh, there's so much good stuff there. I think that there's... You know, a point about the benefit of like you know, you're talking about the park and running out the park. Like, that is like experiential dividends that I think the earlier and the sooner and the more often you have them, the more valuable they provide to your life. Experiential dividends yeah. are the ability to remember and communicate with those you love and you care for about those experiences continuously for as long as you can. Like that is life. That yeah. in, in the and that's like the balance that you have to find between savings in building that bank of experiential dividends. And, and that will then allow you to create your purpose and your self-actualization. And I think mm. you know, it's interesting because we always talk about these individuals that maybe are in, that lack sufficient funds and that they don't have you know, a lot to them or credit and they're happy and they're fulfilled. It's a matter of finding contentment in what you have and what you desire. And mm. it's not just like more will bring you more self-actualization. It's a matter of like, where is that diminishing marginal returns peak And then where do you then go and buy into that and lean into self-actualization? And so there is this like sense of uh, that you have to find that medium. And I think that that's why a lot of people don't buy into the self-actualization because they think it's like all this like utopia, like
0: Mm. kumbaya
1: stuff. But there is some financial stability necessary to create that mental mind share for self-actualization. And there's a time, like you said, for grind and there's a time for like self-actualization. Yeah. And I think that, you know, to what you've talked about a lot is like, that is modern wealth management. That is modern financial planning right there. It's like, it goes against traditional financial planning, which is just save and get to this amount of money, which... You do need that, but you need to throw in the self-actualization or when you get to retirement, it's just not going to be satisfying like, was this, because you've missed yeah, out you, from that It's
0: about money on the accumulation side. It's going to be about the money on the back end. you know. And sometimes if – imagine you hire a financial advisor and for 20 years they talk to you about the amount of money that you're going to have one day as if that is the money discussion. We only talk about how much – that's it. Like how much or how little and where are we going to get more of it or less? Or do we have enough? Yeah. Like we'll, we're adding to the experience that if this, if this is what we want people to think money is about, then we'll keep just keep talking to them about quantity. Just mm-hmm. keep talking them about quantity and we can go down that dimension and we're going to have a bunch of unhappy people that rank money as their number one fear. I mean, if the point is, like I I created this like stu- uh, simple set of values cards that I was like, okay, like I'm going to like operationalize this into a game. So my friends all say self-actualization is woo. I'm going to say, no, it's not. It's just like more pragmatic than you think. So values to me are kind of the foundational building blocks of like a human. And I just say, pick 10 of them out of this card deck of 80. And there's only one word. It's not like a values card deck where every card is like a Friggin' essay that you have to memorize. <laughs> this is like one word. So like adventure. Okay. That's a value adventure. So is fun, fun and adventure. They're a little different. Which one do you like better? Are you a fun person? Or are you an adventure person? Okay. Well, for me, like challenge is also one of my top 10 passions. One of my top 10 by passion. Some people are like, Ooh, that sounds weird. I'm like, that's on you, man. Like I'm what I'm defining passion to mean is like that I like to get on here and pound the mic. And I like to make sure that I'm making some noise in the world. That's passion. Sensuality. Now that's a different thing. And maybe for you, that's in your top 10. But I said passion. So like, you know, let me like pick my values, right? I will own my values. I will hold tight to my values, I will defend them, right? One of mine's integrity, one of them's challenge of my top 10 out of 80 plus, you know, I can appreciate all values. I can appreciate every value. So of the whole 80 cards, it's not like one of them's murder or something. There's no, there's no bad value. Okay, we all want the every human being that is semi conscious. There are some people with severe mental illness that do not orient this way and but most of us have a set of values and and most of us have like one i build a p i have people build a pyramid of 10 he goes one two three then four if i'm feeling really (laughs) if i want to challenge somebody a lot i'll tell them you only get six and we go one two three you only get six they don't like that because they can't even get down to 10 they want them all so if you go through this exercise And you get down to where you're really comfortable. Like you can look at those, that pyramid of values and go, yeah, that's me. That's me. And I'm okay with that. And I like it. I like who I am. Initially, maybe you won't like who you are. But you should at least be able to say, yeah, that feels like me. I hate that person, but it feels like me. (laughs) And then we, but then we can start working on it. But like once you see that, let's say your number one value happens to be adventure and your financial advisor does not know that. And your whole career, they're like talking to you about accumulating for this like end point. It could be a really high conflict relationship for you where you're always feeling like if you want adventure now and adventure to you means like every three months, I gotta do something cool and new. And your financial advisor is like, be careful. You gotta save plenty, or we're gonna be retiring clear out at age 70. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, that would be bad. Like, if I'm 70 and I'm not, like, I'm still working, like, my God, that would be like the worst. It's like, what if you love your damn job and like you're having a great time and you're 70 and it's like the best career year of your entire life because you finally self actualized to the point where you're just loving it and you've made $10 million. How bad is that at 70? I'm just like, what is the problem here with like, we all think there's like some like binary, like uniform way to like accumulate wealth and it all has to do with savings only. There's no self-actualization. There's no income generation. There's You'd never think to meet with a financial advisor. It was like, hey man, it seems like you're an accountant that, I don't know why you picked accounting, but like you're a bad accountant. You're getting half the income you should be for your age band you don't even like left brain kind of stuff. You're not rational at all. You're drawing pictures all day. Like maybe we should change careers. Why not? Like, why wouldn't that be something that a, a wealth manager is giving advice to another human being dared to step into just a tiny little bit, you know, like, Hey, I know you say you're like really into product management, but seems like you're really good at operations too. Like, can we talk about this? Because, why aren't you applying for a job where you could make a $100,000 more? Why wouldn't you just apply for that job within your own organization that's got a job listing right now? Oh, never mind. Let's just convert a Roth IRA and show you like how wise we are as financial advisors because we did a Roth conversion for you. It's like, yes to all of that. And I happen to be an advisor who doesn't love the as much the functional jobs. And so I hire a functional financial advisory type relationship in my life to do the functional things for me. And I don't expect emotional jobs to be served from that advisor because they're just brilliant. They are brilliant and I'm like, I don't wanna compete with that brilliance of functional job completion. They know more about the tax code and estate planning and everything than I do. And I'm a CFP, I got a master's degree in finance and I'm not even as smart as some of the financial advisors that I, I know. So I'm just acknowledging that like wealth is a complex thing. It's not just functional. It's yes, it's consultative. Yes, it's coaching. It might be self-actualization. It might just be like a career recommendation or adjustment or like a simple communication like exercise you run through with a client to help them ask for a raise. (laughs) Like, I mean, geez, like what if we just ask people to like go ask for raises once every two years in a nice way? I mean, you'd make them more money than you could ever make them by giving them a little bit more alpha on their portfolio. So I, I'm
1: done. Well, I'm you know, it, it goes to like kind of what we were talking about earlier, like the perception of what we're supposed to be doing, like that the, the goes back to like our early 20s and 30s, like what we're supposed to be doing. What is a job? What are you supposed to do in a job? You're supposed to be there and take notes and all that type of stuff. Like, that's what I need to do. Even yes. though that's like not yeah. what you mean to do. And that's how mm-hmm. the, the community feels. And that's also how our clients feel, because they're like, what are you doing having a conversation with me with about my life? Like. Just manage my money, sir or ma'am. Like, just get me to retirement. It's like, that's what
0: you're supposed to do. And it's like, no, that like, we're all (laughs) missing the point here. Like, that's not what we're supposed to do. Maybe they, I mean, I'm not saying, I mean, I hope that in my rant, I'm only offending a handful of you. And I'd hoped, I wish I could recover here and, and sort of let you know, I'm still... I still validate all of the advisors doing whatever job you're doing because at least you're in this conversation. So thank you for being a part of it. But I I do agree with you, Matt, that it's more complex how to find – like the American Psychology Association right now says money is by far the number one stressor only competing occasionally in second place to health care – among certain demographics. Like there is no other conversation that people hate more than money, none. Not even divorce, not even like their marriage. They hate money more than anything. And so I don't think more talk about how little or how much they have is gonna change the fear of it because there is no amount of money you can have where you finally feel safe. And you need a little, but you don't need to be financially independent to feel safe. So if we know that, but we spend a lot of time as an industry talking about how much or how little, then you know that's why I started Elements. For me, Elements was like a conversation to me that would not allow people to go to how much or how little I have. I just didn't want to go there. I'm just like I, I'm not going to talk about how much or how little I can talk to you about you and like you now have a year of liquid assets or you have only a month of liquid assets but I'm not going to say if that's that's up to me to decide you know and you to decide how we feel about that but let's not talk about anything too far out in the future right now because let's get today right let's get Let's get feeling good now so we can practice feeling good now for 20 years instead of like practicing scared every time we meet about what the future holds because we'll never have a good relationship when we hit 65 and we're just just as depressed, like not knowing what we want to do with our time, like wondering what are we supposed to do? Like, you know, this conversation, Matt, you're in a part of a firm that's in, you're you're a multi-generational firm. When people hit retirement, what is their story? Is it always like, finally, we're self-actualized and we did it? No. What is it? what do you normally see from 65 plus? They're the
1: same way they were. They're the same way they were from 40 on and they don't enjoy what they just built. They're so concerned about running out. They're so concerned about what ifs and they don't ever find yeah. That fulfillment that is needed, and it's because you can't just turn a light switch on. and And I think to your point, it's, a it's practice. like
0: it's, that's it. It's a practice. It's a
1: practice, yeah. and but and and that's the point. It's not like a downgrading of what wealth managers or financial advisors do at all. Because I, uh-huh. I mean, I'm on a mission to help. I believe that every human being needs access to a human financial advisor. But it's not because investment management is a tool that we use, but we are at the center of their life. And we should be doing more than just focusing on a piece of their pie. We should be their focal coach at the center of their life. And that includes being more than just a financial advisor. We have an ability to have a greater impact. And that's what this is about, is how do we Mm. change the perception of the industry of who we are so that we can deliver even deeper, more meaningful value that extends beyond what was the value 20 years ago, which is now commoditized and provides us an opportunity for what could be in the future. I think it's just such a awesome. such an opportunity, man.
0: You're unique, Matt, in that you want to have that conversation. I, as you know, I think that's a it's an understandably difficult type of conversation for a lot of financial advisors to have because they were not sold that that's what this industry was either. Like they mm-hmm. if you're a, you know, if you're an advisor, you got brought into this industry for variety of reasons, depending on when you started. It might have been, I was selling a product. I worked with 401ks. I was a coach at a bank for underprivileged households. I like lots of people come in. I was a musician. (laughs) Okay. Like I was a musician. So I was not a competent financial advisor. I'm embarrassed of my first year. I, it was really bad, guys. No, I've anyone who was a client of mine in that first year, I apologize so much. But like it people aren't they're not there's no education track in the undergrad. There is no masters program that's really I mean, you've got Texas Tech and you've got Kansas State and you've got UVU. I mean, there's some great programs, but these are new. And the curriculum is relatively new in in terms of, like, a profession. Accounting's been around since Mesopotamia, like, a 1,000 BC or more. And we've been doing taxes for millennium, okay? But we've been doing whatever financial advice is since the 70s at best. And... If you want to extend it back to the late 1800s, you could say whatever the guys were doing inside the insurance companies and whatever they were doing out in the communities maybe approximated the first type of advice. But we just don't have a long-standing profession here with an education track and a system and a history. And so I think it's a cool time to be in the industry because we're still trying to see are we a commodity or are we advisors? Or are we gonna be replaced by technology? Wow, that's fun. Now, this is a mm-hmm. cool playground to play in. When you when it looks like about the average age is 56, you know, we're we're aging. It's not getting younger. You want the average age of a professional to be like in the their 40s, so that there's like 20 years of older and 20 years of younger occupations, but it's not. Yeah. We're an older industry. And the children of clients are also saying, I don't know if I like want to keep my money at this place. I think it's like 30% or something stay like it's, I mean, it's depending on the research you're referencing and the age demographic. So Matt, I think it's just like a fun time to have conversations about what the industry could do. That is the most valuable to me. We do not talk enough about generating income. We don't talk enough about our zone of genius. We don't talk enough about self-actualization. I believe that, By having those types of relationships where we, I mean, this is way out there, guys, but like where we start to understand if someone's a good fit for the way they're trying to make money, like does their personality and their education, what's the next step for them as a wealth manager or wealth advisor or wealth creator or financial advisor there is nothing you can do that is bigger than helping people feel good about their money so they can make more money, so they can generate more income, not just tell them that you have a tax tip. It's just not like a big lever. It's not a big enough lever. Yeah. Anyway,
1: Human beings are naturally conditioned not to accept change and not to appreciate or desire change. I mean, it comes from it's just human nature right when you know back in the day when you're a caveman you didn't go to a new cave because you didn't know what was around the corner you didn't eat something new that you just found because you didn't know what it did homeostasis yeah, yeah. is a is a thing in our body that we don't like to have that altered yes. and that's just who we are yes. and but the the reality of it is is that life changes right if you think about it 15 years ago we didn't have an iphone or zoom five years ago you know there was many things you know there was nothing called covid 19 uh out there disney plus what all the kids watch these days wasn't even around like you know you think about how like things change so quickly it's just inevitable and you think about back in the day with bear stearns and jp morgan when they initially started it was you were selling stocks we don't do that anymore you know, the discount brokerage world, E-Trade, robo advisors, all that type of stuff, change is inevitable. And I think that it's time. And I think that great advisors in the industry, which there are plenty of them, are the ones that are having this conversation. And I think it's time that we change how we perceive what our value is to our clients. And I think that it goes beyond what was even when my dad started our firm 27 years ago, what is now is different. And that's why these conversations are awesome. I mean, Reese, we could have this conversation for hours. I mean, I, I don't, I I, I hate Thanks. to cut this off because I think we could continue to talk, but I know you've got, well, we, gotta, we yeah, didn't even so get we into all get the businesses. We, we didn't even get into elements and all in you know, the advisory business and all hey, of that, because I, this is I such a good, yeah, awesome I conversation.
0: Either. I don't love the self-promotion stuff, but um, I hope that some of these ideas help one or two people because they're important ideas and I, they're not my ideas. These are just, ideas that are floating around. I'm trying to shape them. I hope they help the industry. I'm learning from them and I'm learning from what people think about them. I sure hope every advisor knows that while I'm pushing for change and I want things to be more valuable, it's really because I love the end client. I just love the end client's life. I want them to like have a lot of joy because I think life is that good. And, um, it's, it's sometimes just orchestrating the pieces so that life can feel good for you based on what you value. And, and that's about it. If, if your values look a certain way, I, it's important to arrange your money to help support the pursuit of those values so that you can just enjoy your life. And that's, I think just the shift I want to make for in wealth management is instead of pursuing more or less or making it be all about the quantity of money. Just make it be about what you want out of life and use the money as a way to support your journey in the deeper pursuit of those values.
1: I love that. I love that, Reese. Quick lightning round, two questions, and I want you to give your, how people can follow you, because I know you have a blog and stuff of that nature that people can follow you on. But first question, we're talking about a ton of things. I love learning, that's one of my core values is learning. And I love learning through books. So I like to ask smart people what books they're reading. So what's one book that you think people should read if they haven't or reread if they have?
0: Well, today we would probably, I would probably say to, to understand what I'm talking about here, read Gay Hendricks' uh, Big Leap, The Big Leap. That, that's going to be like one summary of this zone of genius stuff uh, that I think will Perfect. help you kind of decide, you know, what you want, you know, out of your unique skill set. Patrick Lencioni would be a second book. Um, I'm just going through it right now. And it's really related to this book that I just gave you. He calls it the six types of working genius. It was uh, just released. And um, that's why I'm not finished with it. But this one was sort of a similar take to what Gay Hendricks did, but just said, here's the six areas of genius that maybe are your and you could kind of approximate where yours might be so i think that's really helpful to understand first the framework of what are these levels of our own ability and then where are the general categories i might apply myself in patrick lencioni's books so those two i would say are probably the the most related to this podcast
1: <laughs> love it last item What's the one actionable item or takeaway you hope people that are listening to this podcast and all the kind of the, the gold that, that was here from you, hopefully that they take away? What's that one actionable piece of advice you hope people take away from today's conversation? Hmm.
0: Follow me on Twitter at Reese Harper or CFP and send me a DM and I'm going to send you a free link to pick your own values from my list of 80 cards. And I want you to figure out what your top 10 are. Once you know, you send me a picture back and I'll I will send you I will send you a personal audio message if you want. You don't have to have this. this is free and it is not. there's no I'm not trying to get you to do anything except for know who you are. So I will send you an audio message back and I will say what I what I love about what I see in this picture. I won't judge you. I'm just gonna say these are really cool. I've seen people with these values and this is kind of how I've seen them play out. Send me a picture of your values uh, from the link I give you, and I'll tell you how amazing it looks to me uh, and for fun. I just want you to know what your values are, so hopefully that's helpful. Figure out what they are and then pursue the hell out of them your whole life and never let go.
1: I'll tell you that's the one thing that's been life-changing for me over the past couple of years is identifying and living by my core values and making sure that everything that I do in life, and the decisions I make check off as many of those core values each time as possible. Nice. And if not, man. then it's a it's a no. And um, beautiful. So I think that that's the best actionable advice that you can give. Reese, what's the you you gave your Twitter handle? What's other ways for people to continue to follow you and just continue to be inspired by everything that you're talking about and doing in this world?
0: Well, I'd probably just say I like to write a lot. It's where I kind of vent. I'm, I'm a talker, so people can't handle me for very long in an audio format. I could go all day. So, uh, writing is where I usually dump all my words so I don't get uh, my family to be too bothered by me. I have a blog called The Advisor, theadvisor.substack.com. I just keep it on Substack because then I don't have to manage a website. But there's a few, there's a lot of people that reply back to my emails there. Sometimes I talk about parenting and how bad I do. Sometimes it's my entrepreneurship journey. Sometimes I talk about financial tips and ideas, but I would just go there. Those two places, follow me on Twitter and then subscribe to my free blog. I'd love to have you. I love that. Reese Harper,
1: man, thanks so much for this awesome conversation and spending some time with us here today. It's always good to see you, my friend.
0: Thanks, Matt. I have loved it. We'll see you soon. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think.